Section 100 of Mark Twain, A Biography. Appendixes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Appendix O. See Chapter 114. Address of Samuel L. Clemens, Mark Twain, from a report of the dinner given by the publishers of the Atlantic Monthly in honor of the seventieth anniversary of the birth of John Greenleaf Whittier at the Hotel Brunswick, Boston, December 17, 1877, as published in the Boston Evening Transcript, December 18, 1877. Mr. Chairman, this is an occasion peculiarly meet for the digging up of pleasant reminiscences concerning literary folk. Therefore I will drop lightly into history myself. Standing here on the shore of the Atlantic, and contemplating certain of its largest literary billows, I am reminded of a thing which happened to me thirteen years ago, when I had just succeeded in stirring up a little Nevadian literary puddle myself, whose spume flakes were beginning to blow thinly California-ward. I started an inspection tramp through the southern mines of California. I was callow and conceited, and I resolved to try the virtue of my nom de guerre. I very soon had an opportunity. I knocked at a miner's lonely log cabin in the foothills of the Sierras just at nightfall. It was snowing at the time. A jaded, melancholy man of fifty, barefooted, opened the door to me. When he heard my nom de guerre, he looked more dejected than before. He let me in, pretty reluctantly, I thought, and after the customary bacon and beans, black coffee and hot whiskey, I took a pipe. This sorrowful man had not said three words up to this time. Now he spoke up and said, in the voice of one who is secretly suffering, You're the fourth. I'm going to move. The fourth what? said I. The fourth literary man that has been here in twenty-four hours. I'm going to move. You don't tell me, said I. Who were the others? Mr. Longfellow, Mr. Emerson, and Mr. Oliver Wendell Holmes, consound a lot. You can easily believe I was interested. I supplicated, three hot whiskies did the rest, and finally the melancholy miner began. Said he, they came here just at dark yesterday evening, and I let them in, of course said they were going to Yosemite. They were a rough lot, but that's nothing. Everybody looks rough that travels afoot. 
Mr. Emerson was a seedy little bit of a chap, red-headed. Mr. Holmes was as fat as a balloon. He weighed as much as three hundred, and had double chins all the way down to his stomach. Mr. Longfellow was built like a prize-fighter. His head was cropped and bristly, like as if he had a wig made of hair-brushes. His nose lay straight down in his face, like a finger with the end-joint tilted up. They had been drinking, I could see that. And what queer talk they used! Mr. Holmes inspected this cabin. Then he took me by the buttonhole, and says he, Through the deep caves of thought I hear a voice that sings, Build thee more stately mansions, O my soul. Says I, I can't afford it, Mr. Holmes, and moreover I don't want to. Blamed if I liked it pretty well, either, coming from a stranger that way. However, I started to get out my bacon and beans when Mr. Emerson came and looked on a while, and then he takes me aside by the buttonhole and says, Give me agates for my meat, give me cantharids to eat, from air and ocean bring me foods from all zones and altitudes, says I, Mr. Emerson, if you'll excuse me, this ain't no hotel. You see, it sort of riled me. I weren't used to the ways of jittery swells. But I went on a sweatin' over my work, and next comes Mr. Longfellow and buttonholes me and interrupts me. Says he, Honor be to Majikewis. You shall hear how Paupakewis but I broke in, and says I, Beg your pardon, Mr. Longfellow, if you'll be so kind as to hold your yawp for about five minutes, and let me get this grub ready. You'll do me proud. Well, sir, after they'd filled up, I set out the jug. Mr. Holmes looks at it, and then he fires up all of a sudden and yells, Flash out a stream of blood-red wine, for I would drink to other days. By George, I was getting kind of worked up. I don't deny it. I was getting kind of worked up. I turns to Mr. Holmes and says, I, look a here, my fat friend. I'm a-running this shanty, and if the court knows herself, you'll take whiskey straight, or you'll go dry. Them's the very words I said to him. Now, I don't want to sass such famous literary people, but, you see, they kind of forced me. There ain't nothing unreasonable about me. I don't mind a passel of guests a-treadin' on my tail three or four times, but when it comes to standing on it, 
it's different and if the court knows herself i says you'll take whiskey straight or you'll go dry well between drinks they'd swell around the cabin and strike attitudes and spout and pretty soon they got out a greasy old deck and went to playing euchre at ten cents a corner on trust i began to notice some pretty suspicious things mr emerson dealt looked at his hand shook his head says i am the doubter and the doubt and calmly bunched the hands and went to shuffling for a new layout says he they reckon ill who leave me out they know not well the subtle ways i keep i pass and deal again hanged if he didn't go ahead and do it too oh he was a cool one well in about a minute things were running pretty tight but all of a sudden i see by mr emerson's eye he judged he had em he had already corralled two tricks and each of the others won so now he kind of lifts a little in his chair and says i tire of globes and aces too long the game is played and down he fetched a right bower mr longfellow smiles as sweet as pie and says thanks thanks to thee my worthy friend for the lesson thou hast taught and blamed if he didn't down with another right bower emerson claps his hand on his bowie longfellow claps his on his revolver and i went under a bunk there was going to be trouble but that monstrous holmes rose up wobbling his double chins and says he order gentlemen the first man that draws i'll lay down on him and smother him all quiet on the potomac you bet they were pretty how come you so by now and they begun to blow emerson says the noblest thing i ever wrote was barbara fritchie says longfellow it don't begin with my bigelow papers says holmes my thanatopsis lays over em both they mighty near ended in a fight then they wished they had some more company and mr emerson pointed to me and says is yonder squalid peasant all that this proud nursery could breed he was a wetting his bowie on his foot so i let it pass well sir next they took it into their heads that they would like some music so they made me stand up and sing when johnny comes marching home till i dropped at thirteen minutes past four this morning that's what i've been through my friend when i woke up at seven they were leaving thank goodness 
and Mr. Longfellow had my only boots on and his'n under his arm. Says I, Hold on there, Evangeline. What are you going to do with them? He says, Going to make tracks with them, because lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time as i said mr twain you are the fourth in twenty-four hours and i'm going to move i ain't suited to a literary atmosphere i said to the miner why my dear sir these were not the gracious singers to whom we and the world pay loving reverence and homage these were impostors the miner investigated me with a calm eye for a while then said he ah impostors were they are you i did not pursue the subject and since then i have not traveled on my nom de guerre enough to hurt such was the reminiscence i was moved to contribute mr chairman in my enthusiasm i may have exaggerated the details a little but you will easily forgive me that fault since i believe it is the first time i have ever deflected from perpendicular fact on an occasion like this end of appendix o read by john greenman